Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One's Ready podcast. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, get ready because I'm about to mess up another name. Hopefully not. Uh, welcome, John Malora. Got it, brother. Boom. All right, yeah, John. Starting off on it. a high note, Peaches. We should probably just wrap now. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Leave on a high note. Let's wrap All right, everybody, up. make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll see you next <laughs> That's time. That's right. Smash hard. that subscribe button. Yes. <laughs> just absolutely destroy that subscribe Don't press button. It. Don't caress it. Just... Don't caress it. Absolutely just smash it. Yeah. Well, John, appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks. I mean, it's awesome to have you. You've got quite a colorful story. Like, I, I just, it, it's wild to me how. You were a rocket science, ro- rocket scientist, then yeah. went, okay, well, I'm going to be a photographer, a professional photographer. And now you're a professional speaker going around talking about, you know, defeating imposter syndrome and all that kind of good stuff. Like, tell us about this path. Yeah. Yeah. Colorful is uh, one way to describe it. I usually <laughs> use other adjectives. Uh, <laughs> sitting around having well, a hey, beer. I would, I would say I had a colorful, uh, past as well or or where i'm at now too yeah. so yeah well that was your chance too john so we were at like a minute and 15 seconds in you could have just sent that f-bomb right away and you could have right. beaten trent that would have been great <laughs> i'm the I'm, I'm the fng i didn't want to i didn't want to step on any <laughs> right after you trent the shot but yeah so yeah totally had a uh having you know just, just i always say i force gump my way through life especially the first part um, because, you know, my initial plan, which I wanted to always do, I always wanted to be in the military and, you know, had a birth defect DQ me, I found out when I was in high school. Um, so I was kind of left like, well, crap, now what, now what do I do? And probably had some guidance counselor be like, Hey, John, you're, you're decent at math and science. You should go to engineering school. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So, um, got accepted to Penn state university, struggled my way through engineering school. I uh, felt like the dumbest person in the room for a number of years, which that didn't go away after I graduated. Um, and actually fell into the job doing test operations for a NASA Department of Defense and Homeland Security subcontractor. And the wild way I fell into that job um, is, yeah, I would say, you know, it revolves around mice. I was like, what the hell does a mouse have to do with anything? And backing up when I was a junior in college, I was down to one of the finalists to have an internship with Disney, like the Disney and thought it was a lock, you know, didn't have a plan B and that fell through. And when I got the call, this is back in the nineties. So like when I hung the the phone up on the wall, (laughs) my buddy happened to walk in my room. He's like, you all right, bro. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And, you know, long story short, he worked for a Boy Scout camp, like a 14,000 acre reservation and said, hey, you know, we have this big place where we need instructors, specifically a water sports instructor. You, you're outdoors. You want to come work there? And I'm like, I don't know crap about water sports, man. He's like, we'll train you. It's cool. Don't worry. And I said, I'm not a Boy Scout. I don't wear goofy green shorts. I don't wear tall socks. And he said, don't, don't worry. You know, it, it's not that bad. So went up there, worked with the maintenance crew, you know, because I timed till I went to schooling, you know, for, for training and being the unskilled guy, you can imagine I got all the like awful jobs. You know, I was like schlepping everybody's tools through the woods and, you know, dropping stuff off when they forgot it. And one of my jobs, the most glamorous job, this is part two of the mouse of that year. You know, so Disney already ditched me. 
Nikki already <laughs> screwed me over. The other yeah. job I had was the official title was dewinterizing the oh, cats. Nice. You had to kill rats. You were doing Charlie work, so you have a complicated history I, with mice. I, I I didn't have to kill them, Aaron. They were they were <laughs> unfortunately previously deceased months ago because they weren't in there smoking. Hey, John, they're waiting <laughs> for you. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> they, they had fallen into the toilets, peaches. And yeah. had been laying drowned in the toilet for God knows how long. Oh, good. <laughs> My job was to pull them out so the plumbing didn't get jammed up. And I'm like, all right, well, I just have to endure this for a couple weeks. I'm going to be, you know, David Hasselhoff driving speedboats, teaching people how to water ski. You know, life's going to be good. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? Right to the end. It, so, normally, at this time, we tell people, hey, if you don't want to do this, you know, stay in school. You were right. on your way to becoming a rocket scientist. So that's well, not that, going to really hold any weight. Yeah, well, I was like, well, I'm, I'm definitely not dropping out now. <laughs> right, and, right. you know, rocket science What if that's even word, rocket science It is now. Working for the space, for, it is now. Yeah. Um, that wasn't even on my radar, dude. Again, I didn't have a plan. I was just trying to get through to the next thing. So I've been pulling dead mice out of toilets. You know, I was scrubbing rust off propane tanks. You know, that was another one of my jobs. I'm like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get, you know, this, this, this tech school, if you will, learn how to do all this stuff, teach the water sports. And they come up as I'm scrubbing rust off propane tank. They're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good. I'm leaving for school tomorrow. I'm out of here. They're like, yeah, about that. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they said the guy who did it last year, he's coming back. So it doesn't make sense to have two of you there. So the maintenance crew is really impressed with your work ethic, John. I'm like, God damn it. That's <laughs> it. Dang my Western PA work ethic. <laughs> They're like, they would love to keep you on. I'm, you know, I just have visions now of like, you know, cleaning out septic tanks at one in the morning and all the other stuff. They said, or, or you could teach rock climbing. You could be the director of rock climbing. We'll train you. I'm like, I'll do it. They're like, would you want to hear about it? I went, nope. I said, sign me up. They're like, are you scared of heights? I said, hell yeah. See you later. I'm back in my bags. <laughs> so taught rock climbing all summer. It was awesome. You know, fell in a new groove, got to lead a great group of people. And all that to tell is that's actually how I ended up working in the space program. Because when I graduated, a company, this NASA's contractor sent a thing out to all the graduating engineers. My buddies and I were sitting around drinking beer and wings one night. And uh, they said, hey, did you see that thing from that NASA company? They're like, we should all apply. They're like, let's do it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I apply, thinking, you know, crickets. Nope, they wanted to have an interview with me. And I'm like, they're like, you got an interview? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's okay. I'll, I'm, I'm sure I won't make it past the first thing. Yeah, they'll figure and out I, who I am. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Right. Once, once they know who I am, they're going to say this is not a good fit. So... <laughs> I was talking to the guys on a phone interview and this is before video conference. So like, I'm just like, you know, winging it on the phone. And they said, what is this about rock climbing? And I gave my spiel, like, cause I thought should leadership is on my resume. Like I led a staff. I didn't kill anybody. I thought, you know, that was good. And they said, hang on. Someone, someone wants to talk. We have someone you need to talk to. They put me on mute and I'm like, okay. And it's like silent. Then all of a sudden it comes off mute. This, this gravelly voice comes on, doesn't introduce himself. and goes, hey, what do you think about rock climbing on Mars? And me being a prolific smartass, I, I just immediately retort. I go, are you going to pay my airfare? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I just, I just totally blew it. Right. 
but this dude goes, get him down here. <laughs> and like disappeared. That was it. They're like, all right, well, that was Skip Wilson, our director of test operations. He would apparently like to meet you. So uh, let's schedule a meeting. And I guess uh, we can forget about the project management job you were interviewing about. He wants to talk to you about test operations. Ooh. So came to find out, this will be near and dear to your heart. Um, this guy, Skip, was a former PJ in Vietnam. And then went on to be a SEER instructor. Um, and then, you know, when he retired in the late 80s, he was in test operations out of um, Edwards. Yeah, Edward, yeah. Yep. So, so this guy, Skip, you know, he, they would go out into the field and test all these things at various facilities. And he saw in my resume that I had moderate intelligence. But more <laughs> importantly, he said, he goes, look, he said, I don't need some egghead. I need someone who I can send out into the field anywhere on the, in the planet and not get themselves or someone else killed. No one puts rock climbing on their resume. He's like, that's badass. He's like, you're not sitting behind a desk. And that, that's how I fell into the space program. So, you know, all these things that, you know, seemingly were defeats and, you know, didn't go according to plan, you know, they all just kind of worked out. But the key is, you know, always being willing to retool or reevaluate. So that's how I ended up working in the space program for 15 years. Off of putting rock, rock climbing on your resume. I mean, but, yeah. it, but it does, it shows <clears throat> that what they valued it. It wasn't, right. it wasn't, um, you know, all the, the mathematical skills it was. I mean, obviously they valued that for that, for that one portion, for that sector, it, it was you being able to think on your feet, problem solve, mm -hmm. um, and, and probably th that physical aspect of it as well, um, because you know the physiological impacts of rock climbing and, and doing that kind of outdoor exploration kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I always give him a lot of Elvis credit. leg on Mars? On Mars? You know, like, What's that? What, can you, like, climb a 514 on Mars with the gravity, or, or how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> Guys, listen, be obviously, I'm, I'm the resident expert, okay? So I will handle <laughs> oh all rock gosh. climbing. I'm the worst <laughs> climber, too, by the way. I just want to put that out there. Like, I am so, I am terrified of heights uh, and medium heights get me the worst. You know, people say, oh, yeah. oh I, I, I can't jump out of a plane because I'm scared of heights. Those are different. It's different right, when different, you're different looking at a plane. When I'm like 50 feet up hanging on something that I've tied myself, I have, I have never been, uh, you know, more sure that I was trying to kill myself than the yeah, first time. So yeah. I'm the safest guy on that rock. I will tell you that right now because I'm <laughs> tied in. Get right to it. <laughs> just tied into multiple locations. I got somebody that's belaying me. Sometimes I'm just walking. I just have, I'm just tied into somebody. It's, it's just a whole and thing. He's, he's yelling at people like they need to be safer and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Like, they're like, you guys, we're in the parking lot. Aaron, we yeah. are just putting our backpacks on. I'm like, well, yeah. they're heavy backpacks. You are, you are walking on belay, Aaron. <laughs> on belay all the time. And I make somebody say it back. I'm like, oh, belay. They're like, fine. I'm right fine, here. All right. Jeez, oh, he's belay like, on. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, fine. So you didn't go to Mars, though. I didn't. Uh, yeah. So hmm. fun fact, someone pointed this out. Mars is a planet entirely inhabited by robots. 100%. Right? Would, as far as yeah. we know. Yeah, wow. nice. Trent, good. Oh. That's for another podcast, but nice. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we, we say things about with finality. That. That this out. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we like to have alien conversations on here. We believe we are the aliens. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> Thank you. 
It's a heck of a point. So, John, what were the first projects that you were working on? So you got into, you know, into the space program and, you know, you yep. worked there for 15 years. And obviously, I want to talk, you got another Air Force, you know, connection. This is kind of woven through your entire story. You ended up working on the F-35 and some other projects. But yep. as you got into that, that very first job, and you've kind of alluded to it, and I, I can see the the uh, the theme as it gets to where you are now. You know, you got there, you, you just happened into it. You, you had a good conversation and, you know, having those connections almost always works out better than education. But mm-hmm. kind of as you got into those first those first couple years at NASA, what were you working on? When was the first time that you were like, oh, no, I might I might not belong here? Yeah. So when I walked in the door my first day, I just graduated college. I walked in, you know, wearing a shirt and tie which I think that was the last time I wore a shirt and tie for the next 15 years is all Carhartts and t-shirts after that. I walked in, set my email up and they said, we're leaving for test operations for the uh, spirit and opportunity Mars rovers that were landing in 2003. This is 2001. And I was at BWI airport within four hours and put on a plane and sent to a test facility where they could, they could mimic the Martian atmosphere testing airbags, the landing systems for the uh, Spirit and Opportunity Mars rovers in 2003. And after doing that and getting my feet under me, you know, that that much I'm sure like what you guys get involved with, like the, the people that can hang, like they bubble to the top pretty quick, you know. So so I, I could hang and they put me in charge then of another project landing on Mars in 2003 as a UK project called the Beagle um, Mars mission. And they put me in charge of that. Like I'd been at the company like nine months right out of school. And that caused intense anxiety because the leadership to come and be like, hey, if you screw up these tests and, and they cancel the project, like there are people that are going to lose their job. Do not F this up. And that like kicked off a lot of anxiety, which I had wrestled with for a lot of my life. But when I got put in charge of that, I'm like, I do not deserve to be doing this. And, you know, just kept rising to the challenges and, and, and learning and, you know, eventually got the mission off. Um, but yeah, that was probably the first time, Aaron, where I was just like, I am way in over my head and didn't have a lot of like mentorship because we were, we were high speed. We were, we were never around. We were always at some test facility or doing integration trials or uh, on-site customer stuff. So. I never really was able to develop that skill of asking for help, you know, saying like I'm drowning. But there was also a lot of ego where I didn't want to raise my hand and be like, hey, I'm I'm having trouble hacking this. So I kept it to myself and it just it just eventually snowballed into like major like panic attacks, you know, develop some unhealthy lifestyles that, you know, in an effort to try to cope, which spoiler alert, they didn't work. What? <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, unhealthy <laughs> lifestyles don't work. <laughs> well, we call um, it medicating, self-medicating works. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm exactly. a doctor. <laughs> right? Yeah, so so that but th- those weren't new feelings. Those were feelings that had been present all my life and just really ratcheted up, you know, to extraordinary levels during that time of my life, Aaron. Well, John, it, is that one of the things that made you successful though? Because like it, it, the way I see these things is I have like some anxiousness about me all the time and always mm-hmm. feeling like I'm not going to make it and always, you know, catastrophizing to a certain extent. Yeah. And as you keep going through this process, it's like if I would have asked for help, you know, and I would have slowed down, would I have 
been successful still? Like you don't know, but like that's the question, right? Is is this thing a thing that made me successful in this endeavor? Mm -hmm. Or uh did I just destroy, you know, you know, three years off the end of my life for no good reason? Yeah, and and that's something obviously you need to you need to keep challenging yourself and you're always going to have a little bit of trepidation, you know, that anxiety that that's good. You know, that lets you know you're pushing yourself and you're getting out of your comfort. But where what really, you know, looking back on, and there's nothing I can do about it now, what it did was it robbed a lot of the joy that I should have experienced whenever I would whenever I'd reach a milestone or, or complete something that I thought there's no way in hell I'd be able to do. Um, a story I always talk about when I'm giving my, my talk on imposter syndrome is um, I, I was one of the leads on a missile defense project and, you know, was a lead for a couple years on it. And the work was, went so well, we were actually recognized as civilians with letters of multiple letters of commendation from the DOD, which, you know, was pretty cool. And I can remember just standing on the stage, getting ready to be given my letter of commendation from the president of the company. And all of a sudden this like fear, like, like bad fear, like just came from the pit of my stomach. I almost started crying. Someone's like, oh, are you so excited? I'm like, in my head, I was like, this is the moment where they're going to look at my name on this piece of paper and, and realize, John, you've been BSing everybody. You actually don't deserve this. Because I just had this just just vision that I, I didn't deserve it. I, I shouldn't be there. Despite what we were doing, what we built and what we worked on, it was out doing its thing successfully where it needed to be doing it. And it's actually still doing it to this day, mm -hmm. you know, over 20 years later. So, Trent, to your point, it's okay to have anxiety and, and get that nervousness because that lets you know you're pushing the boundary. But what's it robbing you of? That's why I always talk about imposter syndrome's a thief, that feeling like a fake. It's yeah. a thief. It's going gonna, it's gonna to steal your joy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I can't help but think about too like the 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 the, the steps you took along the way where where maybe you could have like helped right like I don't know mistakes I've made in the past right when you go from personal performance to being in charge of something mm. that's when we tend to I think that's when things tend to go wrong because we're we're very much do everything ourselves type of people right and then when you have a staff and you don't want to ask for help and you want things done your way and and you know instead of delegating and relying on the talents and the, the knowledge of the people on your team, you know, you, you kind of do more than you should. And then, you know, you spend, you know, 20 hours a day working and, you know, at least all these other things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's a skill that needs to be learned. And that's where it's, it's so important, especially, you know, men that have worked through our various careers, like, like we have, you know, to turn around, you know, and like help the next people in line and, and teach them and steward that, you know, and be like, hey, look, look here. Yeah, the, here, here are some stumbling blocks where I've hit and and really just be a guide and a shepherd to those people and set the tone for it's OK to get that kind of, you know, input to you, not and not, and not set it up where it's like, you know, you got to be some, you know, lone wolf Rambo kind of guy that just, you know, does it on your own and can take out a, you know, hind helicopter with a thumbtack and a rubber band. Like that looks cool in the movies, but sometimes it needs that, to be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need to just <laughs> do it on your own, but or, or take down, you know, with a rubber band, a thumbtack. They were, they they were drew Russians. Yeah. They drew first blood. Yeah. First blood. I think that was second. That's right. The sheriff is the yeah. bad guy. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. The, yeah. Colonel they, they, the colonel is. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. The colonel was. 
Colonel. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he just reached out up. to his boy. And well, and speaking of the someone reaching out, right, or or, or realizing what went <laughs> wrong, you're obviously here. You you've been successful. At what point during this process did you realize that you needed maybe to reach out for somebody, uh, or or realized you had a problem that allowed you to get past that and get to where you are you are today? Yeah. So unfortunately, I I can tend to have a bit of a thick head, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And which I, I'm sure no one else on this call can relate to at yeah. all. Um, yeah. nope. I I pretty much had to hit rock bottom emotionally. Um, and that, that kind of came in the form of like a one-two punch. So, you know, I'd been working in this job at this point now for over seven years, had a lot of professional success of which I thought I wasn't worthy of any of it. You know, I just be on to the next thing. And in 2008, my wife and I, we had our first child. and one of the core things that I had such anxiety about, you know, due to unprocessed trauma, you know, coming to realize later was, you know, I just had this core fear that I was going to let the people that cared about me, let them down. And we just had our first child and my wife, like, she's like, I got to get out of the house, dude. And I said, kids sleeping, go to Walmart, walk around, you know, cause you know, I'm a baller. I like to tell my wife, you know, go ahead, spend some quality time. Go spend something. Nice. Yeah, go don't take spend care of yourself. One place. Yeah. City's got nothing on me. Go get yourself something nice <laughs> from Walmart. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but so anyway, so my wife, my wife's out. This is the first time I've left home alone with my daughter. I'm like, there's a bottle, no problem. Daughter wakes up, won't take the bottle, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But I had such angst about being a father due to my own stuff. When my daughter started crying and I knew my wife wasn't going to be home for an hour or two, it like just spooled me up into this like panic cycle. It's like, oh my God, all these, all these fears that I've had all my life that I'm going to be an awful father. I'm not going to be able to take care of the people I love. You know, this like little five pound human, you know, spooled that up. So that put me in a, a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, panic attacks kind of thing for the next few months ratcheted up the anxiety and you know when you're a new father you get like what like 45 minutes of sleep at a clip you know for months at a time so that does nothing i was traveling extensively they sent me to antarctica during this time which was a pretty pretty boss trip you know side note of course um so that was the first thing and then a couple months later um one of my best childhood friends who um an air force vet you know he unfortunately became one of the 22 a day and he was not only a friend, I looked up to him like a big brother. Like he was a year ahead of me in school. He was able to go into the military, which I, I shared before was always a dream of mine. And when we lost him, I like, I couldn't function. Like I was just in this habitual fog. And I, I just remember like, like I'm a problem solver, right? Like that's what I do. That's what my job is. And I can't, I can't get my, Mm -hmm. my crap together. I can't focus. I'm just in this habitual fog. And I can remember a few, few uh, weeks after we lost him, I was standing just in my bathroom and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to go on. You know, the, the coping mechanisms I mentioned before, you know, (laughs) they, they really weren't helping now. They were making things worse probably. Um, and I just remember thinking like, I don't know how to go on. I don't know if I want to go on like this sucks. And at that moment, I chose to pray, which 
the reason why that was a big deal was after I graduated Catholic high school, like I wanted nothing to do with religion. Like I stiff armed it. I didn't want anything to do with it. I used to, I used to tell people like, oh, you, you go to church or you go to synagogue or, or whatever. It didn't matter what religion they were. I'm like, what are you too, too weak to do life on your own? Like Jeez, I was an a-hole about it. But I was like, all right, I, I have no other cards to play here. I'm just going to say the serenity prayer. You know, give me the strength, courage, and wisdom. And that moment of brokenness, like when I, when I finished that prayer, which I hadn't prayed in 15 years, like I, I just felt this warm sensation come over me. I'm like, I've either just lost my, my flipping mind, <laughs> like I finally cracked up, or, or maybe there is something to this, this God thing. And that gave me a basis to kind of push off of rock bottom and the first thing I did was I started looking at how I was showing up in the world. And, you know, I had all these accolades. I had this, you know, kind of superhero reputation at work because if there was a, a hazard, potentially hazardous project or mission, like my hand was up, my team and I, we were going. Looking back on it, it's because I was trying to give myself some self-worth. It wasn't that I was like, okay, we can handle this. We can make it happen. It's like, I want to feel good about myself. I want to give myself some value. So we're going to do the difficult things. Well, every time we came back successful, I just put my head back down and be on to the next thing. So I started realizing I was, I was defending this like superhero kind of persona I had developed in my industry by just being an absolute jerk because I had such little self-confidence for real. Like inside, like I was falling apart, guys. And like, if anyone would like say anything that would challenge me, or I'd feel like it was making me look bad, or like even just like be like, "Have you thought about this, John?" Like, man, I would just like use like my my sarcasm and wit to just cut the legs out from under them. Have you thought about shutting up? How about that? <laughs> I, yeah, that 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 probably used one of those. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm an asshole. And started really turning the light on myself. Like I was a test engineer. My life was ruled by data, right? So I started getting data on how I was showing up and I'm like, man, this is not good. So I started, you know, just doing the, you know, Anthony Trucks, who's a podcaster and a speaker that I follow, talks about doing the dark work, that work that you do on yourself in the dark so you can actually shine whenever you get it together. So I started really see figuring out what was triggering me, what kind of conversations, what situations. And, you know, it was, it took years where I would just change how I eventually would react. You know, I, I, I worked on responding instead of reacting to things. Yeah. Made a lot of apologies. I was like, man, I feel like I'm in like some 12 step program. I'm like apologizing to everybody. Um, so yeah, so that, that was the, the, the turning point in 2009. It was just from a place of just such brokenness that I'm like, I, something's got to give did did you shit can those kind of bad or poor coping mechanisms at the time at the same time too or did you carry those through uh, until you kind of had that realization um well some of them had been falling away but <clears throat> they they were a lot of the coping mechanisms were a, a lot of like just how i would treat people okay and respond it, and they weren't sub down. substance or anything like that like, yeah, in, like, I, I, I shed the really bad ones when we got married. My wife's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, absolutely not. Yeah, women well, tend I, to do the, that. Yeah. The, re yeah. the reason why I say that is because, like, we, you know, there is a culture within the military that is drinking, like, heavy, mm -hmm. heavy drinking. Yeah. Um, 
which what? yeah i know it's it's wild right and that is it is starting to subside or, or at least the unhealthy part of it, it, it is yeah. starting to subside and people are starting to just, okay, we're going to drink, but it's going to be a little bit more uh, responsible and, yeah. and uh, throttled a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I can relate to. I mean, you know, you know, going to Penn state, which, you know, always makes top 10 party schools. Yeah. You know, that was part of the culture there. Um, you know, we carried that through. Obviously, we'd finished a test operation or something. We're either celebrating or, or drowning our sorrows, and you know, we'd take it too far. You know, it, even as like an adult, as like a dad, like I finally realized a couple of years ago, it's like we need to knock this back, like because it would, it would be taking it too far. It's like it's not fun anymore. You know, what I mean, like just have a couple beers and watch the game, and you know, be able to drive safely home. It was like what are we doing? Like, guys, we're like, I find, I'm like, guys, we're in our forties. Like, yeah. let's, let's knock this back. Like, let's, let's, let's get a handle on ourselves. No, dude. man. No. Woo. Yeah. No, I got, we got to do it right when we're together. I'm like, no, like let's reevaluate this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and with, as a father, right? Like, I don't know for me, it's, it's, I don't ever want to be caught you know, flat footed if something happens, you know, right. so like the, the, the times that I can let go or do it, it's, it's pretty limited because it's like, I got little people that are relying mm. on me. And, and while yeah. my, my wife is a formidable human and she would stab somebody, it's still at the end of the day, my responsibility to take She's care of stab anything you. goes wrong. That's the problem is that she is going to stab you. I mean, especially if you don't perform, like if you don't <laughs> freaking take that dude out or whatever, yeah. like you got to. Well, she will definitely critique my performance, even if yeah. I win that fight. Yeah. And then, <laughs> well, what? So, the the imposter syndrome is nothing mm -hmm. is not a stranger to to either the three of us at all. Yeah, um, I'm sure the people listening as well, because it, it is something that everybody deals with, regardless of the career path that you happen to take. Um, right, you know. How do you, how do you kind of, okay, so it's awesome. You recognize that, but for, for the rest of the folks out there, like how can we self-assess and recognize that? Yeah. Yeah. Great. With, great without question, somebody, Pete. without somebody helping us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first step is, you know, obviously giving a name to something gives you a lot of power over it. So I, I didn't know what imposter syndrome was probably till 10 years ago. And what it is, I mean, it's rooted in self-doubt <clears throat> and it's when, you know, it can, it can show up any different way. It's like, you know, you're a fake. You don't really know what you're doing. You don't deserve to be here. People are going to find out that you're just, you've just been winging it the past 20 years, you know, and, and this house of cards that you feel like you've built is just going to collapse. So understanding it, what it is, is paramount. So, you know, giving a name to it, that self-doubt. But one of the things is understanding you know, what it does, you know, I say it's a thief, like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna rob you of your joy. Like I talked about getting that commendation letter and that stuff, you know, it's, it's gonna steal opportunities from you. Like if you don't believe that you're worthy of whatever you already have, like you might not be as likely to <clears throat> pursue the next job, the next, you know, investment property, relationship, what, whatever inserted in there. And then the big thing is that it's going to actually rob the people that you're here to serve in whatever situation that is, you know, your community, your family. Like if you play small because, you know, you, you just feel like you shouldn't even be doing what you're already doing, it's actually affecting other people. 
So, so those are some big things. And then also realizing how it shows up in ways that go beyond just feeling like a fake. Um, you know, a, a woman who, who's done a lot of work on it, uh, Dr. Valerie Brown on imposter syndrome talks about, you know, it can show up in, you know, five different ways. It's like being a superhero. Like, are you the person that always has to be there to save the day? Like sometimes like that just happens, right? Like you, you just need to, you need to step up and, and you need to help. But it's like, are you continually like raising your hand, like for problems that maybe aren't yours to fix truly? And, you know, so manifesting like that, people that things have always come naturally to, you know, they call it like the natural genius. It might be like, why the hell does a natural genius have a problem with this? Well, you know, when you're growing up in sports or academics come easy to you, which didn't for me, <laughs> either one of them. Um, but if, thing, if you're used to things always coming easily to you, when you become an adult, so many different layers of stress get added on, you know, travel, aging parents, kids, job stress, it, all the things you know, paying for groceries now, you know, <laughs> all that, right? Um, if things all, all of a sudden start becoming difficult, people that things have always come easy to might be like, who the hell am I? What Have I been living a lie my whole life? Like, I never struggled with anything. And now I'm struggling. Now what? Because they even built that muscle of, all right, well, this sucks. Let me figure out how to solve this problem. You know, because yeah. they've just always kind of been a gazelle and, and cruised through everything. Um, you know, seeing if, if you show up as like a lone wolf, you know, where it's like, I don't need any help. No, I, I don't want any help. No one can help me. I don't need it. You know, I, like when I would do these test plans for our test programs, like I always thought I I could do it. I could do it myself. I remember these like 90 page procedures with like cranes and hazardous operations and other stuff in it. And like, I wouldn't let other people look at it until like my supervisor was like, hey, Melora, wrap it up. <laughs> And it was because, you know, I was like, well, I can do this. I've been doing this for years. What it really was when I look back on it, I, w I had that lone wolf mentality on that because I didn't want to give people ammunition to show that I was not worthy to be where I was. I didn't want to give someone this document and be like, hey, point my blind, blind spots out. Help me out here. Because I'd be like, oh, now they're going to think I'm, you know, I'm not worthy to be here. Um, other other ways that imposter syndrome and self doubt can show up for people to self assess is, you know, like a podcast is a great example. Let's say someone has a dream to like launch a podcast, but you know they spend two months researching the microphone, you know, another month researching the headphones, and then they take some you know master class on launching the podcast, <laughs> and then they read a book, and it's like just just go, like no one's gonna die, like <laughs> just yeah. just go. Yeah, maybe so we should like, have taken know, a class, people, actually. I, I was thinking, I was like, wow, they have classes on that? Like we probably opposite. should have done a little bit more yeah. research than what we did. The Sorry, three man wolf pack. doing okay. Yeah, we're like, hey, check it out. Yeah. You just hit record, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, and then the final way is, and I always save this for last because people always roll their eyes, is like, are you a perfectionist? Do you have perfectionistic tendencies? And perfectionism you know people oftentimes treat it like it's a positive trait it's like you know i'm a perfectionist name, name, name something you struggle with well if i have to say i struggle with something i'm a perfectionist because i just care so much yes <laughs> i'm a little too perfect sorry guys yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i care too much yeah. i care too much it's like i'm not i'm not saying ship crap but there has to be a point like i said where you just go and then have the courage to iterate it again yeah so 
self-assessing all those ways are ways to see if self-doubt and imposter syndrome are showing are are showing up and then there's some ways to turn that down yeah questions or feedback on that stuff no i mean that 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 last thing is is one of the things that is is well known probably in the military but definitely in the soft community is you know an 80 percent solution is better now than a hundred percent solution two days from now because you're never going to get to a hundred percent you've got to be able to execute off of partial information and try Mm -hmm. and make the best decision you really do and then and then to your point about the you know people that haven't had to deal with necessarily struggle or they've they have you know they they're gazelles and they're they're walking a path that's that's been laid out for them i almost don't know i mean sure some of that is based off of their own skill intelligence and that kind of stuff but a lot of it is somebody is kind of paved that path for them and not allowed them mm. to stumble not allowed them to struggle um, yeah. you know and and usually it's a, a parent or grandparents or something like that that you know i'm i'm just going to take care of everything so that you don't have to and instead it's like well you're you're not doing little johnny any favors later right. on you know yeah yeah absolutely and that and as as a parent or even as like mentors it's it that that's a tough line to walk right and you know, one one of the things my wife and I are, are very big about we've we have three kids, you know, nine, thirteen, and and fifteen, is letting them know like, hey, we we screwed up, we dropped the ball on that, and that's actually been probably one of the best parenting things that we've done is because now our kids, when they make a mistake, they know it's not the end of the world. Yeah. They'll raise their hand and be like, yeah, I I blew that. <laughs> this, I, I did not do that well Ownership. or I responded, you know, not, not in the right way or a healthy way. So, yeah. So, so those are, those are some big things is, is admitting your flaws, you know, especially when you're in a leadership position in your family or, you know, your job. What are some of those other ways that we can start kind of breaking the cycle of the imposter syndrome? You, we kind of laid out those five things, those five yep. little, um, you know, those five things that can, can be, you know, indicative that we're suffering from it or that we do have a problem with it. And it, and it can be an unconscious thing. You can you yeah. can hear these things and go, oh, wow, I do that. And I didn't, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what to give it a name. So how, how do you start breaking that cycle of imposter syndrome and, and start actually showing up the way that you want to show up to the world? Yeah, there, there, there's two, there's two ways that, that I always like to point to is I call it the archive of awesome. I always tell people, it's like, write down things that you've done well. Or things that have made you happy, or that you can, you know, that that you can look back on your life and be like, yeah, I actually did that awesome. Because fear, when it when it crops up in that negative voice in your head, when it crops up, it's not going to fight fair. It's going to bring things up that happened when you were, you know, just a little person, and it's going to trip you up decades later. So I always say to people, it's like, look, when you're writing down things that you're proud of, don't just write from like the past like month two months, two years, five years, go back as far as you can remember. Because what that does is that starts building the basis that your brain can look back on and be like, okay, I, I, I have done some awesome stuff and I, I do have what it takes to do whatever is in front of me next. So, you know, if people sign up for like my newsletter, you know, or, or just, you know, through my website, they actually get kicked out a PD, a fillable PDF with their archive of awesome, I'm like, just start typing away, set a timer on your phone for, for 10 minutes, 
and just write down things that cool things you've done that you're proud of. And people are always like, man, I thought 10 minutes was going to be tough to do, but they're like, I, I went for like 20, 30 minutes. Like I was like, I've done some, some boss ass stuff in my life. <laughs> Turns so out that's I'm, the one that I'm not terrible. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, I don't suck as bad as I thought. So we so, can get it out there. It's uh, John Melora.com. So John yep. common spelling J O H N Melora M O L L U R A.com. And that's where you can sign up for the newsletter, see more about John and see what he's doing yep. on a, on a day to day. So I wanted to get that yep. out there for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And if John Melora slash free stuff, that's right where the, the button is. People are always like, oh, free stuff. Nice. So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so, but that's, and, and that is actually why I have all this stuff behind me on my wall is a lot of these, you know, the, the letters of commendation I talked about, there's one, and there's the other one, like all this stuff, you know, mission patches I was on, this stuff all sat in desks and boxes for years, if not decades, because I'd get these awards or these mission patches and be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, because I I I didn't want to like take credit for it. I I didn't want to, you know, believe that I I didn't feel worthy is what it came down to. And once I started, you know, learning about all this stuff and becoming more comfortable with myself, that's when, you know, I was like, I I need to actually put this up because, you know, I'm just like everyone else. Some days I wake up or something happens. It's like, I don't think I got what it takes to pull this off today, like whatever it is. But the cool thing is about having this stuff behind me is when I walk into my office, I'm like, okay, right. That went to Mars. I can do, I, I can, I can make this phone call, <laughs> right? I can, I can, you know, cold call you guys and it has to be on, on, on your podcast. So taking credit for things is a, is a big part of it. And one of the other ways, Aaron, that I always give people a, a, a tip or a hack to, start turning down the volume of imposter syndrome. Cause I always say turning down the volume because it never goes away. Yeah. You know, just like Trent was saying, like, there's always going to be some little bit of anxiety or you're going to get a new situation. It's going to be like, I don't know if I can do this. But the point of all this is not to make it go away. It's not a switch. It's not like you, you learn this stuff and people listen to this podcast episode and they'll be like, ah, oh, I'm good to go. You know, click no problem now. Cured. It's like, no, what we want to do is turn the volume down of it, of that, you know, that, that, negative voice inside your head turn the volume down and also reduce the time where it trips you up so one of the biggest things that i know i struggled with for years was accepting a compliment and like like for instance like there's there's a guitar beside me i I used to play in a band and like if people would come up you know the unhealthy way to handle a compliment if someone came up and be like man i saw your band last weekend john like you guys crushed it the unhealthy way to say that or to accept that compliment and be like, oh, thanks, brother. How wasted were you? <laughs> you know, given some kind of like self-deprecating, you know, thing because it, it just feels uncomfortable, right? So one of the ways I tell people, it's like, look, when you do that, two things are happening. Neither one of them are good. The first one is you're giving your brain information that you think it sucks or that you think you suck. And it's just going to file that away. And the other thing that it does is it tells the person that just gave you that compliment that took the time to say something nice. Yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> I don't it's believe a that about myself. What's wrong they're with trying you? To give, they're trying to give you a gift. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, yeah, whatever. So I always tell people, I'm like, as uncomfortable as it feels, like you need to, just like that archive of awesome that I talk about with your accomplishments, that builds up, you know, the the 
the data set, if you will, of, of good things you've done throughout your life, if you learn to accept the compliment, that also will positively impact you. It builds that data set up. So if some, you know, the, then the right way to handle a compliment, John, man, I saw you guys play last week. You guys were awesome. It's a, it's a very complicated three-step process. You might need to write this down. <laughs> the first step is you just smile at them. Not weird, not creepy, but just smile. Oh, Someone says something, just smile at them. That's that's Trent's way. Sorry. Yeah. Yep, yeah. The awkward, the awkward smile. Well, he thinks he's <laughs> smiling. His face is just completely blank. He's actually just staring you down until you leave his area. <laughs> I'm so nice on the inside. I don't understand how it doesn't make it to the outside. <laughs> it just doesn't crack the actual face. <laughs> so, yeah, so just smile at them. And then I always tell people, it's like, just say thank you. Period. Thank you is a full sentence. It's not thank you, but thank you, blah, blah, blah. It's just, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. And then the third step is just smile again or, or try to. <laughs> I'm a good, good tryer. He's the absolute worst. So, John, throughout throughout your entire journey here, right? And it's yeah. I, I always love calling it a journey because now, like, you can use that word unironically. When it first came out, everybody said, oh, your journey. They said it too much. And then uh, it fell out of fashion. But now it's back in and you can say it again. So I'm bringing it back. But throughout this back, entire journey, sexy back. <laughs> we haven't even hit on, you know, your foray into photography and, you know, being published in National Geographic and all these other things that you were able to find joy um, and really present yourself to the world. I like how you, you know, you said that there was a disconnect in how you wanted to show up to the world and how you were showing up to the world. So yeah. brass tacks, somebody wants, you know, sees these things in themselves. What's kind of like that first go do that you give them like, hey, you want to start showing up in the world and being, you know, your more authentic and true self focus on this. You know, what would that be? Yeah. So if they're depending where they are, like if they're in a place where they're like they're just they're just stuck and they're stagnant, like I'm always like, just start writing down, like you said, good things you've done, like start building up, you know, retraining your brain about the way the way you're showing up in the world. And a big piece of advice I always tell people is don't feel like you're starting over. People are always like, man, you went from working in the space program to being a photographer. Like, that's crazy. It's like, they're like, man, that must have sucked to, re to, to start over like that. It's like, I'm not starting over. I'm taking everything I've learned my entire life, all these skill sets, you know, when they would drop, you know, my team off, you know, at some base and be like, all right, Melora, you got like two weeks to pull off this test on the rocket sled track make it happen like that skill set obviously thinking on my feet was a big one but i was able to develop rapports quickly because i needed to cut through all the red tape mm. like i needed to get chemicals on base i needed to get things that went boom on the base like i need to know who who to talk to and also be able to identify with them so that translated awesome into my photography because i always say it's like other than a dentist I'm pretty sure a photographer is the only other occupation where people are like, I'm about to give you like a substantial amount of money. And I hate this. I hate being <laughs> photographed. <laughs> that is a great point. As a guy that hates being yeah. photographed, I completely get yeah, it. Everybody hates being photographed. Like I'm like, they're like, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, I look awful in pictures. And I'm like, well, every person that you saw in my portfolio that brought you in here, they all said the same thing. So <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so just just getting out of that mindset of I'm starting over. I don't have what it takes to do this. If if someone's like seeing these things themselves, they're like I need to change. Like and just start finding what lights you up and it's trial and error. 
And then just realizing no one's like, depending what their hobby is, <laughs> no one's going to die. Like just, just, you know, just, just get out there and start doing stuff and being okay with learning. It's actually way safer to have someone else take your picture than taking selfies, right? Because I don't know how many of those yeah, videos yeah. I've seen where that cliff just sneaks up on them and they, they go. Yeah, yeah. My buddies and I were laughing about that. We were because we, we tried scheduling this two weeks ago. We were out on our annual back backcountry trip and it like it wound up after three days of this like just beautiful vista. You know, and like our legs are, are just shot, you know, and we like have our packs on. They're like, hey, there's that rock ledge down there. Should we get down there and take like a selfie? I'm like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. <laughs> you know how I'm like, news- we're not going to be one of those guys in those videos. Exactly. You know how many news stories? Like, oh, a man falls 500 feet to his death trying to take a <laughs> selfie. Not today, playboy. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, put it on the pack or like someone came. It was, it was so funny. It's like we had, we had just got to this vista. And like, we're like, man, this is beautiful. The, these past three days, this is so worth it. There's like a road that goes to the top of the vista from the other side. <laughs> and like these like families come walking out with like their dogs and, you know, they're eating like Snickers. I'm like, oh, I guess we could have done that. Yeah, yeah. you thought you, you took like this picture? crazy backcountry hike. Some girl with like wearing Barbie Crocs shows up like, oh, hey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah my four-year-old just did this in Crocs. Great. <laughs> so good. Well, yeah. What was about photography that sucked you in? I'm sorry, I had to step away because kids and stuff. Um, what was about photography that sucked you in? Was it, what, what, uh, the challenge or, or was it because the focus is not on you? You know, as we, as we go through this process, I can't help but think of, of you know, like you're growing up, you, you have to reprioritize and, and, and right size your ego and, and recognize the things that came before you and recognize what you've done, where your place, place in the world. Uh, but then this photography thing, like, you get to focus on other people, which is, I think is, is where we all landed as our priorities to get over all the stuff that we've been, you know, all the, 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 uh, what is it? Imposter syndrome and all those other things that we've been talking about. Jeez, we've been talking about for almost an hour and I can't think of it. That's how dumb I am. I need to rework my curriculum. Jeez, Crap, man, I'm the worst. <laughs> I mean, landing. I mean, I'm, I'm so good. I got to write down all the things I'm good at. I was going to say, Trent's now showing you his imposter syndrome. He's like, oh, I shouldn't be on this podcast. I couldn't bring it up right away. And now, like, I saw him spiral there. (laughs) Why am I so dumb? Well, (laughs) what was it about photography that kind of, like, lit that fire within you to to try something fairly new and to to step out there and put yourself out there? Yeah, it was actually a lifelong hobby. When I was seven, I wanted, like, a hamster for my birthday. And my mom, in her infinite wisdom, knew, like, this kid doesn't have the discipline to take care of you're not hamster. ready for it <laughs> yeah nice. you're not ready for a pound and a half ball of fur John. <laughs> so and she doesn't know why to this day like but she got me a camera and this is back in the mid 80s so it was like a film camera it had like the flash bulbs that actually pop and i just i just enjoyed it i love being able to create something and i you know always looked at things from a different point of view. So that's how my photography started. And the cool thing was when I was doing test operations, they would send me, like I said, I mentioned Antarctica, they'd send me all over the place. I'd always throw my camera in my bag. I'm like, cool, free trip, <laughs> free photo safari. And uh, just love the, the being able to create. And I started, you know, with like landscapes and fine art photography, because at that time, I didn't have the confidence to photograph people like it, like terrified me the thought of like telling someone to like do a pose and not having it work out. 
you know, because this is like, remember, this is like, I was like rude in like all this imposter syndrome. I didn't feel good about anything in my life that I was doing. So it's like telling someone to do something where they're already uncomfortable and then having me not be able to do it. Like I didn't have the self-confidence for that. But as my confidence grew, I eventually found that I had a very big knack for portrait photography, taking portraits of people and developed like kind of like a, a rock and roll kind of style, like real dramatic lighting and found that I loved working with people who have gone through like a significant valley of their life. Cause I can obviously identify with that and can tap into my empathy and help them feel comfortable and create these portraits of them that are almost that are a gift to them. I mean, they still pay me. It's not a free gift, yeah, right. but, but the gift is, you know, on those days, like I said, whatever they've gone through, whatever kind of a badass they are, they're still going to wake up and they're going to be like, Ugh, I don't think I got it in me to go after whatever it is today. And I always, part of my, my thing is they always get prints of their photos. So they have a print of, of frame print on their wall of them in this like badass portrait. And they're like, okay, that person's inside of me somewhere. I'm going to, I'm going to believe I'm that person for 30 seconds. And I'm going to believe it for a minute just to kind of get them, get them through. Like I have, a, I have a frame picture of myself that my mentor, my photography mentor took of me hanging up. Um, so I always loved creating Trent and photography just evolved into, you know, just a way I can do it. And then also serve people. I think, I think that's a, a huge part of the, the process, right? Is the, that prioritization and, and, and seeing how you, you play into the bigger system and you get to be a part of these people's, you know, their day or, or the next couple of days or whatever, and, and a part of their life and you get to give them something. Um, but I also think you learn something about yourself through your art, right? Like, so mm -hmm. like, as you go through this process and you're creating this art, it's got to be therapeutic for you as well to kind of see how you fit into the bigger scheme of things and how you're serving other people. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a unique way to serve other people, and the the photography, especially the kind that that I I love to do, it's got enough of the the tech with all the flashes and remote triggers and everything that I get to nerd out on it a little bit, yeah. um, you know, and serve myself with that. But one of the things that I love doing is, like I mentioned, like ninety nine point nine percent of the people come in, they're like, I hate being photographed, and a story sticks out. I was I was working with a model one time. And I, I took her, I was, I was do, we were doing this photo shoot. And when I was, we were in my studio, the pictures were popping up in real time on my computer screen. And I saw her kind of peek around. She goes, <gasps> I said, you all right, Molly. She goes, Oh my God, you made me look so pretty. And I'm like, <laughs> what? She goes, you made me look beautiful. She like, said, that, that's so cool. You get paid like, for looking I'm good. Like, this is how the world sees you. She's like, well, that's not how I see myself. I'm like, all right, well, we're, we're printing this out. And and I just talked to her this week. She's like, oh, my God, I, I totally had that printed and framed in my house. That's awesome. So, yeah, so it's really cool to be able to show people how the rest of the world sees them and, and build up that, you know, that that database for themselves that they are worthy of, of love and respect and, you know, the world sees them differently than they see themselves, especially if they see themselves in a harsh light. Yeah. Well, but you, you know, you never, you never want to say you're done, right? Like, how do you know when you're done when you're taking photography? Cause we, we've talked about a lot of things here and we get a lot of questions. Obviously we talked to folks that are trying to join the pipeline and making that mm -hmm. leap, which we've talked about like four times just in this episode, you know, the 80% solution, you know, you go into something where, and I see this with a lot of other artists and a lot of different art forms, 
is like, how do you know when you're done? How do you know when you've gotten the correct shot? How do you know when you're ready to publish, you know, make that leap and really put yourself and your art and everything else out there? You know, like how hard is it to like finally just be like, okay, we're good here. And I'm going to put this out there for everybody. Yeah, that that's, that's something that takes a lot of practice is like, I can remember like just being terrified to like show people pictures I took when I started, like, it would be like, oh man, I don't know. What what are people going to say? And it would take hours, you know, maybe days to like put something out there. And then you realize, oh, I don't suck. People didn't tell me I sucked. Maybe they didn't say anything, but they didn't tell me this was awful. And it, it comes down to, I always talk a lot about getting the reps in. Like you got to get the reps in and build that confidence and just, and just be brave. I mean, you got to be brave and if nothing else, like work on being like my friend jazz, who does talk and shoot talks about being 10% braver, like just be 10% braver than, than you usually are like whatever that looks like for you. And then the cool thing is it's like the 1% better every day. Like you just, you just, it, 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 it's not a curve that goes like this. It goes, you know, eventually if you keep, if you keep working on it. So just finding that courage and and putting yourself out there is the best advice I can give and, and, and know that it will get easier just like lifting weights, right. And working out. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's probably, and I'd I'd be interested to see what your take. It is this, you know, the fake it till you make it kind of thing. I think Mm -hmm. there's probably a fine line of the fake it till you make it thing. Um, what do you, I don't know. What, what is your kind of take on the, the fake it till you make it? Yeah. And with art, it's always like, who gets to say if you're a fake or you're a professional, like, it's like you're you're just creating and i usually don't use the term fake it till you make it because like if you're doing the thing like you're not a fake like you're you're trying like you're in the arena mm-hmm. like you're 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 in there you might get your ass kicked but you're in there so the way i like to rephrase fake it till you make it is do the thing and recognize your goal is to get better like when i look at stuff i've created like you know, two, three, four, five years ago, I'm like, oh, oh God, I can't believe they paid me for that. Same. You know, which is what you want, actually, you know, because that means that I'm progressing in my skill and, and you know, what, what I'm doing and the, the standards I hold myself to now. Yeah, no, that's that's valid. And the, you had said something and, and I didn't want to interrupt earlier when you, you talked about um, people's comfort level with doing things like we just got back from the uh, air mobility commands, airlift and tanker symposium, where, you know, the, the commander had allowed us to have a booth and, and all that kind of stuff. And we were interviewing people, just kind of pulling them right off of the, the convention floor. And a lot of people were like, one, we didn't get everybody that we wanted that we asked trying to talk mm. them into it. And they were like, absolutely not. There's no free way. I have nothing to say. Why would you want to talk to me? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. The the other side of it was, uh, I <laughs> Aaron and Trent laughed because they're like, yeah, I basically ordered some kid to to sit down, but I, I didn't order him. Yes, I was just did. like, well, enlisted folks I, can't I order. Strongly I, suggested you can, you can tell yeah. him directly to his face <laughs> to sit down. I applied, I applied some pressure. <laughs> Good way to put it. <laughs> so, but the funny thing is, is, is he did it, and and afterwards he was like. 
holy cow, that was fun. That was awesome. Like he really, yeah. really enjoyed it. And it's like, yeah, man, just, just sit down and do it. And, you know, when we, when we first started doing this and, and it's not that, you know, we're, we're no Joe Rogan or, or drinking bros or any of those guys. Right. But I remember talking to uh, the black rifle dude, Jared Taylor. Um, and he's like, dude, you just have to hit record. Just have to hit record. That's it. That's it. You don't need all this stuff. You just hit record and go. And that's yeah. like now it's, it's like, yeah, whatever. Let's hop on real quick. We, we can hit record and it's no big deal. But the first probably 50 episodes was like, all right, we need to think this through. We've got to have an outline. We've got to have, yeah. you know, like, is everything set? Like, oh my God. You know, I mean, the, the, since we got back on this trip, I, I set up the studio in, in here with all the lights and cameras about 15 minutes before we started and, and just like right in hit record. And, yeah. and I, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we did a little bit of research on you, but not much because I want, I want to, I want to find out about you. I don't want to, I don't want to find out about you and your story from, you know, things that are read on Google. I, mm-hmm. I like, I want to talk to you, which is why right. a lot of times like they're laughing right now because they know like I'm pretty quiet when we first step on here and I don't like to have a lot of like, preamble talking. I just want to hit record and then let's go because I don't want to lose one. I don't want to lose content. I don't want to rehash things. It's just, it's interesting. It's my own yeah, little, yeah. my own little things. Yeah. But, but a lot of that comes from you, you've put in the reps, like, you know, you, you like you had an outline and you just naturally learn what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, you, you just go from there because you've put in the reps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, is there anything else on imposter syndrome or photography that, or, or I mean, NASA rock climbing on Mars, which is still on the to-do <laughs> yeah, list, legit. but uh, is there anything else you want to, you want to hit before we wrap? Yeah. I mean, I, I just like to, to always end, you know, all my talks, you know, from stage, like, I just want people to know that like they're worthy. Like they're, they're truly worthy of the good things that people say about them. They're truly worthy of the good things that happen to them. They're, they're worthy of the accolades that they've received. And, you know, just always, I'm always happy to, you know, chat with people, you know, shoot me a DM. You know, I always love hearing people's stories where they're at because a lot of times people don't give themselves enough credit for what they have accomplished in their life. And, you know, to kind of sometimes serve as a mirror for people to help them see themselves in a better light is awesome because people truly are worthy of those good things. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's great advice, especially to our demographic. That's, you know, anywhere between 15 and and 35. So that's solid. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And then um, you want to say your, your social medias real quick since you do it out there. We'll just double tap it. Cool. Cool. Um, Free publicity. That'll work. Uh, yeah, the website is John Malora, J-O-H-N-M-O-L-L-U-R-A slash free stuff, all one word. And, you know, you, you can get your own archive of awesome sent to you right away. There's also a button there to, to schedule a free call with me, um, you know, just to see where you're at, because I offer everything from like, you know, self-paced online workshops on imposter syndrome, where we dig into what we talked about more, um, all the way through 12 week personal coaching with with men and women. So to really help them dig in and understand who they authentically are. So interested in that, johnmalora.com slash free stuff. And then all the socials, I'm 
pretty much the only John Melora out there. Nice. You got that <laughs> branding just locked. I got yeah. that. I got that got locked it. in. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody that's out there, uh, please like, subscribe, hit that uh, notification bell. And then we appreciate everything that you do for us in terms of support. Onesready.com for some merch um, and some attack league gear if you're so inclined. So appreciate you, everybody out there. Later. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.